Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. I would like you to introduce you to a guest who is a colleague of mine. Uh, he has been on before, but quite a long time ago. He probably came in, and we can check this with him, as an intern to the Center for Risk Analysis, which is the financial and economic assessment entity of the of the IR and gives advice and produces documents on current financial economic issues in South Africa. Becky came in just under three years ago. He and as I recall, he was a shy, eager, quiet um, young man who wanted to learn voraciously. And so he attached himself to do any of the dreadful work that some of his bosses may have given him. And we now see re- a confident, articulate, knowledgeable young person who unfortunately is leaving us because like often happens with the young, articulate, knowledgeable young people, other better paying companies see them and want them. And who can who can blame him? That's that's the way of the world, and 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 the best of luck. So Becky, welcome, Becky. Uh, sorry, Becky Mashlobo. Welcome to the RR show. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, Sarah. This is the second time I believe I'm on your show. Honestly, uh, mad that it's it's only been twice now. It should have been many more times, as I would have loved to also have a track record of my growth on your show. And indeed, it has been quite a long time. It has been uh, within the Institute. It has been quite the learning journey, but I appreciated it. And I'm grateful for the path. I'm grateful for the people I was exposed to within the Institute of Race Relations, people with whom, in my opinion, are the uh, best thinkers in the world. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me on on this very cold day. You would think I would have mm. been adjusted to this weather, but I have not. <laughs> well, as I said, it is the shortest day of the year, so you can sort of hold that in your heart while you struggle through the rest of, rest of winter. Vicky, I mean, I, I watched, I've watched a couple of your presentations, which are really the presentations that have generally been given by our former CEO, Franz Krunier, and our current CEO, John Inglis. And they are absolutely wonderful to watch and they are clear. And what I'm, impre- what I'm particularly impressed by is that you've taken the three years that you've been with us and you have really taken every opportunity to learn from the masters. Mm. Um, what has what working with people like that been like? So. Good and bad. Good and bad. <laughs> so the previous CEO of France Cunha, um, it has been an absolutely amazing journey, as well as with uh, Dr. John Andrews. With these briefings, particularly, it was been it has been the best learning experience for me, and I don't think that a lot of people, especially my age, have the great privilege of being exposed to. It does take quite a lot of work, but at the same time, it's just the willingness to do the work mm. that will really carry someone forward to learning. And as well as getting uh, knowledge with the with the data that we provide, mm-hmm. the the main objective of the strategic intelligence report, which is what you've mentioned, is to essentially brief clients, brief ordinary South Africans, be it government uh, bodies or any other institutions, as to what are the current economic affairs and risks that happen in South Africa, uh, and it touches on multiple sectors, be it healthcare. Mm-hmm 
be it property rights, be it economic growth in the country, income levels, socioeconomic living conditions, as well as what's ahead in terms of risks in the country. So <laughs> being exposed to such vast amounts of data with the team at the CRA has been quite um, a great privilege for me uh, personally and a blessing, if I'm honest. <laughs> now, I think uh, before we go on to the, the, the guts of the, of the interview, I think one of the interesting things when we look at all our IRR or CRA reports where we've, uh, prog- we've put forward a prognosis of what may happen what, or what should happen, we've always been, we've always been ahead of the curve. Um, mm. And uh, I think learning from that is you, you, you will have uh, much to offer your your future employers as much as the employer as much as they can offer you further learning. Yeah, most definitely. But I think so. There's one important point that I want to touch on here, and that's like the values that the institute has really strengthened within me, and that being that of family values first and foremost but also on the values that would see this country grow. These are values that I hold near and dear to my heart. These are issues that I've seen growing up because I've been so exposed to so many environments, so many cultures Mm -hmm. within the Eastern Cape, within also in the city, Johannesburg, within the East Rand. And so these issues that are touched on by the CRA, as well as the broader Institute of Race Relations, these are issues that I've seen face to face um, when I I grew up in these particular environments. So the work that I do, I did not necessarily view it as work. It was just me trying to understand where do these problems come from and how does one try to assess the risks and also assess to how does one solve them, which I believe that the Institute has been front and center throughout each and every one of these issues. Well, that's that broad that broad perspective is uh, in, is incredibly valuable. Um, it's it's the sort of it's sort of hidden knowledge that that makes a difference to how what you can offer and and uh, and what and, and what you learn. I asked I asked to talk. Let's talk about the three what you consider the three big issues for this country. And the first one, and it relates a little to what you've already said, is living conditions in the country in an environment of high prices. Now, just to say that I, the, the, I just saw an article today and was going to talk about it, that in July, the tax industry is going to raise its prices. Now, that mm. surely has got to have huge effects on, on, prices in, on prices across the board. Most definitely. I think this is by far the most pressing concern that ordinary South Africans are facing on a day-to-day basis. Just to touch on living conditions as to where they currently stand, the short answer there, Sarah, is that they're not looking good at all. Mm. When looking at unemployment numbers, South Africa has an unemployment rate of about 45% under the expanded definition. That's under the expert, which includes Mm. people that have given up seeking employment because employment opportunities in the country have been on a great decline. Mm. Now, what does an unemployment rate of 45% mean? Well, it means that 12.5 million South Africans are unemployed, which is the highest rate of unemployment rates when you compare it to about 182 countries. Now, last week, the SR was Youth Day on Mm. Thursday, June 16. And unfortunately, these individuals face little prospects to improve their lives with a youth unemployment rate of about 75% and a large proportion of them dropping out of school. So they're not getting educated from the education standard Mm. 
as our education system in the country does not properly equip these young individuals with the skills needed in the labor market. And when looking within the labor market, the rigid labor policies that we currently have have been restrictive on the youth in terms of them have being hired and all, as well as to learn on the job. Mm -hmm. So you have a high levels of unemployment. You have a youth that's not employed and that's not educated. And you also have stagnant income levels. Mm -hmm. When looking at disposable income as well as GDP per head, those income level indicators are lower than Tabumbeki left office in 2008. So you have declining incomes in the context of rising prices. So you mentioned there uh, the taxi prices increasing there. Now, like also looking at the fuel price, if the fuel price just touches 25 rands per liter, it will mean that it will be 50% more for motorists to go to work, 50% more for trucks to move goods around the country, 50% more for uh, public transportation to transport people around the country, which has led to the recent increase in taxi fees. Mm -hmm. So also looking at uh, oil used for cooking, that has increased by 21% year on year compared to last year. Now, unfortunately, once you start having an environment of high prices, which is what the country is currently experiencing, as well as high levels of poverty, which is exactly what South Africa is currently looking at, you then have an environment where there's gonna, you're going to see an increase in social unrest as well as political instability. And it's a very important point that I think should be closely monitored. And unfortunately for these South Africans and ordinary people on the street, there are hard times coming and there's little prospects of things improving in the coming weeks. I've, I've taken the, the view, and I'm not the economics wonk in the hour by any stretch of the imagination, but the problem for me politically is that there is absolutely nothing that the ANC has done that is going to make a difference. There's way too much regulation and, and legislation. It's becoming increasingly, um, shall we say, uh, it, it's increasingly interfering with, with uh, an already overwhelmed, overweening state. It's interfering with the business that the private sector does. And its ideology, its socialist ideology, is it's almost like it's, it's an immovable rock. And it's... A, Socialism has just generally proved 100% that it doesn't work. So the question is, are there any prospects of recovery in the country? I mean, because I just see sort of that dreadful going down the cliff. And yeah. So about, I believe it's now been two weeks, Statsa published the first quarter numbers of economic performance in the country. And they stated that currently economic performance in the country has reached pre-pandemic levels uh, when looking at the absolute value of GDP sitting at about 4.6 uh, trillion. However, it should not be forgotten that South Africa over the past 10 years has struggled to surpass 2% GDP, even on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that the country has largely been in a decade-long economic stagnation. And the fact that now we've reached 2019 levels just means that we've moved from a deeper contraction mm -hmm. to one of economic stagnation. And what brought that level of economic stagnation? A point that is missed by many analysts is that they tend to ignore the thinking of the ruling government. Mm -hmm. And the ideology of the ruling government shapes policy in the mm -hmm. country. Bad ideology, as you've mentioned, 
uh, which is a, a, a socialist Marxism type of think, the 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 move towards nationalization nationalization of South African institutions, be it healthcare, be it the weakening of property rights in the country or restricting businesses, does not end well for an economy. And we see that example in South Africa. We see the declines in economic performance in the country. We see the declines in income levels. And we see the declines when it comes to basic things such as service delivery. Unfortunately, the policymakers do not pay for these reckless decisions that they make and are paid for by ordinary South Africans. So this has led me to question then, what would have happened if South Africa was pursuing policies that were implemented by emerging markets? In other words, if we do not follow the uh, bad ideology that the ANC is currently implementing through policy. Well, if South Africa was growing at the same level as emerging markets over the past 10 years, we could have had 21 million South Africans employed compared to the 14.9 million that are currently employed. That's a difference of about 7 million South Africans that could have been employed currently. Mm -hmm. Now, these opportunity costs are paid for by ordinary South African citizens. And unfortunately, they are the ones that feel the brunt of bad policy, whereas the policymakers themselves are well insulated from the policies that they sign with the signatures of their pen. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you what, what, what in your opinion is the likelihood or, 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 or percentage chance that the ANC loses the 2024 election and that it would have to be a coalition of party of what are now opposition parties running the country because no one's going to have enough to be to run on the majority basis so we're going to have we're going to follow a whole lot of countries that that do this and i just see that you know we often talk about uh, germany and israel and mm. israel is now um is now going for a fifth election in two three years mm. um because the the governing coalition essentially has uh, has collapsed What's what do you think we can do? You think that could happen, and if it does, we could manage it. Yeah. So before I answer that question, I think it's also good to have just to have a look at the performance of the ANC in previous elections, be it national or local elections. Uh, what we've seen within the uh, the research that we've done at the CRA is that if you see an improvement in living conditions in the country, that is correlated with an improvement in ANC voter support. In a period where from 2004 to 2007, where GDP averaged about 5% to the same level seen in emerging markets, under Chabumbeki, the ANC was just a rounding error away from 70%, mm -hmm. which was the highest support level that it ever achieved since 1994. Because it delivered. Sorry? Because it delivered. Yeah, because it delivered, exactly. It delivered on service delivery. It delivered on employment. Unemployment levels doubled. It delivered on allowing people to work, which they were previously barred, looking at it from the Black population, mm -hmm. resulting in an increase in labor participation rates. It increased an improvement in income levels in the country, as well as investments and business sentiment, because they delivered. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately now, because they're not delivering, it has resulted in a decline in their performance levels. The first time the Institute had called for the ANC to dip below 50% was in 2012. This was not done through magic. It was done by looking at social economic indicators mm -hmm. suggesting that the ANC is losing support by looking at protest actions, which have dramatically increased over the past decade. 
So on this point of question that you've asked me here, Sarah, I think the days of an ANC rule is coming to an end to which there, there could be a coalition of parties that would defeat the ANC. You know, this has led us to, to uh, come up with the thesis of the wild dog thesis. Now, what the wild dog is, wild dogs is a pack of parties that form a coalition. Wild dogs are the most successful predators in the African continent. No single wild dog face doesn't uh, has little prospect of taking over the ANC or defeating the ANC, which we have termed the old buffalo and its little calf, the a the AFF. But as a coalition, these parties stand a greater chance of getting 50% and above in the 2024 elections. And that's exactly what it's pointing to when looking at municipalities as well as the passing of budgets. Of course, these parties will fight within each other. However, they share common values within themselves. And those common values, therefore, stick them together, uh, even though we might see them fight within each other mm. here and there. Mm. Uh, I do believe that South Africa is therefore going to see a stage of one party rule um, uh, to be quite unlikely, and rather mm. seeing a coalition of parties from the 2024 elections going forth. Mm. And I think, so I was recently yeah. asked this question as well, if I may also add, mm. as to the feasibility of these parties. In other words, will these parties be able to carry forth from the 2024 elections going ahead? And it really also depends on how these parties work with each other. What happened in the 2021 elections was the rejection of bad service delivery, a rejection of the high levels of poverty the country has experienced. And so voters, the ones that voted these parties in, in these uh, municipalities that formed a coalition, want these parties to work with each other. They don't want these parties to fight amongst each other. Of course, if they're important issues they need to tackle on, then they need to most certainly tackle them on. However, from a voter perspective, if these parties cannot hold themselves together, mm. then in the eyes of the voters, it, it would set them in a weaker position and actually may lead to them losing support. Yeah, I mean, untested, but if they, if they do take power and actually behave rationally, I mean, it literally could turn South Africa around in absolutely every sense. It would take a, a, long, a, a, a long time to get there. But the final question to, the, to you is the issue of the balance of opinion within the ANC and uh, will Cyril survive? I mean, the, the uh, audience knows I'm not a great fan of our president, so uh, I'm intrigued about your view on this issue. Yeah, so the balance of opinion within the ANC here, what we try to do is we try to gauge if the ANC is leaning towards reforms or not. In other words, reforms I would see the country grow at high levels of economic uh, prosperity. Sorry there, sorry, I'm saying that we need to go to an ad break. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay let, let, let's, let's hold it there because it, it has its beauty of its own. And uh, let's go to, uh, to the market, as they say. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Becky, get back to the interesting idea of the of opinion within the ANC and the likelihood of President Ramaphosa to survive. Yeah, I think what this question really touches on what 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 the country has seen over the past few weeks. In fact, over the past few years, that of being corruption. With my engagements with some analysts over the past years that I've worked within the institution is that they see corruption as one of the major hurdles that's holding the country back. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that corruption does contribute to low levels of economic performance. However, corruption is rather a symptom of 
a really bad policy that the country mm. is. So the balance of opinion within the ANC is gauging that bad policy and whether the mm. ANC is pursuing is is willing to cons- uh, pursue that bad policy or willing to change its direction and go out the 180 degree uh, trajectory. Unfortunately, according to our numbers, about 81% of the ANC cabinet is against pro-fundamental reforms. There's no one within the ANC, not a single cabinet official, Mm. is favorable towards reforms that would see South Africa grow at high levels as what we see in other emerging markets. So therefore, it would then facilitate an environment of high corruption levels in the country, uh, such as the one that we've seen now with the allegations against the president and if they proven to be true could severely weaken the president mm. now according to our polling data uh, the president Cyril Ramaphosa has high favorability ratings he sits at about 61 percent which is the highest compared to any other political leader compared to his party performance in last year's elections at 46 percent the man is more popular than his party and if these allegations taint his favorability, we could see the man weaken in terms of the public sentiment of the ANC president, as well as that of the ANC to severely weaken, mm. uh, which means that we, we are likely in a stage where we're going to see a continual decline in ANC performance in the upcoming years. Mm. Well, I see that uh, Helen Ziller, who had put forward a, an, a, an idea of uh, you. Know, combining with the, the, let's call it the good ANC, I think she called it something like that, in the next election to defeat, to, to defeat the bad ANC, etc. And she gave quite a cogent argument for it, but a little sceptical. Mm. No, no sooner had, had uh, Ramaphosa been charged with um, not reporting a crime, etc., at his farm, she's come out in response saying there can be no coalition with the ANC and I think that uh, to my mind there's there's always there's there's always been a little bit of naivety in her approach because there is no one I mean our analysis and our looking at the at the at the party I mean there used to be some years ago two or three people that were reformers that you could talk to and and hope that they'd make some influence they aren't and key to that is that President Ramaphosa isn't isn't a reformer exactly and uh, exactly. yeah, was... um, so it's quite interesting um, looking at uh, Cyril Ramaphosa because he set himself as outside the political realm. Mm-hmm. And I believe that is what has contributed to his high favorability uh, ratings. Mm-hmm. However, the, the man has been the one that is prominent on policies that have been detrimental to South African growth and investment levels, Mm -hmm. such as that of expropriation without compensation, which fundamentally undermines uh, property rights in the country, Mm -hmm. such as that of the NHI, that it will essentially nationalize healthcare in the country, leading to a decline in performance of healthcare services that the country much needs. Mm -hmm. He is the man head of his party, as well as the policies that emanate within his party. Therefore, as the figurehead of his party, he should be very stance on policies that are detrimental to economic mm. performance in the country, which he has not been. Instead, he is very skillful in deflecting from the issues, such as talking about spectrum release, as well as removing red tape, which are definitely needed by the South African economy. 
but is not enough to see South Africa grow past 2%. Mm -hmm. What the country needs is pro-fundamental reforms, real substantive policies that would see employment levels rise, that would see income levels rise, that would see that the country is not constantly bombarded by power outages, such as load shading and so forth. These are the issues that he's not willing to touch on. And he's not willing to touch on them because he's simply not a reformist mm. in mindset. No, no, I think I think that's absolutely right. And 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 knowing it helps us to prepare for it and and, and look at how we deal with the next election. Uh, Becky, it's been a great pleasure having you on. I agree with you. I haven't had you on enough. But the fact that you're leaving doesn't mean that I'm not going to have you on. I will get your <laughs> details and... Uh, and and send you reminders and get you on because I think I think um, whatever you've learned has has resulted in in a display of knowledge and understanding that is extremely valuable, it's been valuable to us, and it's been, will be valuable to the next guys. So thank you very very much for for being with us, and uh, good luck in the new environment. We'll we will miss you. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me on. Uh, it was a great pleasure to uh, have this discussion with you. Um, this is not the last time that me and you will talk. We'll definitely no, no. talk in future shows, be it private or public. Um, but <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> I've My also quite enjoyed working with you within the Institute. I've learned so much from you. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not done learning. Uh, there's still mm -hmm. a lot more to learn with you, as well as the um, campaigns that you're running, an important yeah. issue that you're touching on education, primarily in South African schools. Yeah, well, we're now uh, I'm about to launch a free speech union, so there's plenty to watch. And at my advanced age, I can tell you that the more you know, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Becky. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you.